gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the midwest monsters podcasts i'm one of your hosts grizzly abner and i'm joined by professor wagstaff venomous benny <laughs> he, he can't get enough of the plastic fang gag folks. so <laughs> did you say gang bang i did Todd not has a smorgasbord of things in front of him right now <laughs> bear with us so 43 <laughs> we are talking about uh, we're doing a 43 means that you can just deep throat all these pills Todd is taking a handful he has of pills no idea where he is for his health <laughs> this is not even illicit drugs this is all for his health with a triple shot energy drink <laughs> yes his first of two for the night tonight's, uh, tonight's episode is brought to you by Triple shot. Starbucks triple shot. All right, we're doing the thing. We are doing the thing that I hate the podcast do at the beginning. So let's get back on track. And we are talking tonight about a concept that Toddy brought to us many a moon ago uh, about doing dead end sequels, films that had sequels that people were like, we don't need any more of those. And so that's what we are doing tonight. Uh, Vinny and I thought this was our third time doing it. Turns out, just our second time. Where I reminded them that you have denied us the permission for 10 years. Well, based on the film you chose, we will remember why <laughs> I decided to say we should not do any more of these. Well, think of what you say, because I could have made a whole franchise out of that. So this is going to be a dead-end sequel to dead-end sequels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. If we're lucky. All right. So, I am Grizzly Abner, and I chose The Descent Part 2. Professor here. I picked Pet Cemetery 2. Hi, it's Vinny. I picked Dr. Fibes Rises Again. And hi, Toddy. I chose not really the sequel, but the equal <laughs> shop treatment. That's the actual advertisement. Oh. Which is this sequel to Stay Rocky. Up. Boys, let's put on our bibs. Starring Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> May God have mercy on your soul. So that's your <laughs> picture, folks. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I think we have decided that that's where we are going to begin. We decided we need that taste out of our mouth quick. We're going to open the door. Right. So, Shock Treatment, 1981, written and directed by Jim Sharman, who directed and co-wrote Rocky Horror Picture Show, also written... And starring Richard O'Brien, uh, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, Charles Gray, Jessica Harper, Clifty Young, Ruby Wax, Rick Myall, aka Drop Dead Fred, uh, Jeremy Newson, uh, and the first uh, first few names I announced; those were all people from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Indeed, this was also the fourth fourth script that was written for a sequel to Rocky Horror. Probably should have went with the fifth one, whatever it was. <laughs> well, the first one's where, the first one was gold. 
Or maybe the last one that they wrote. This one was zinc. <laughs> so, <clears throat> we revisit the Denton affair. And so I do want to say, um, one thing that always piqued my interest about Rocky Horror is that I just wondered who all those weird people were who were there in the, the tuxedos. And then I saw this movie and I wish that I never hoped that I wondered who all those weird people there in the tuxedos were. Yes. Thank you for coming to my book report. What was it uh, that you would have preferred to have splashed in your drink than watch this? <laughs> I would rather have a bourbon and Coke with a splash of the professor's urine than watch this again. <laughs> Uh, so, are we doing initial thoughts, or are we just jumping is right this, into is it? Is this first time watch for everybody? Uh, yes, my first time viewing. Uh, to be totally honest, I, I was not opposed to giving it a shot. I mean, you hear about shock treatment, and everyone goes, oh, God, that's the Rocky Horror sequel. It's like, I'm like, well, I gotta watch it, right? So, I'm not mad that I watched it. Now you're not? No, I'm mad that it ever got made. Okay. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, had to so that I could be at least that person who says, well, yeah, I saw it and it sucks. So uh, <laughs> there's that. Uh, this was my second viewing. When we did Ooh. the thing with uh, Mad Chan years ago where we picked movies uh, and cross-referenced them on lists and stuff, we ended up watching that one time. So this is my second viewing. Uh, this was my first time seeing it. I had heard legend that it existed, but no one had ever recommended me watch it. <laughs> um, I'm, this is probably the third time watching, being honest. First time was, uh, like Rocky Horror, actually, this was kind of like a hard to... Uh, I think this movie came out on VHS a few years after they finally released Rocky Horror. I had no idea that this had anything to do with Rocky Horror whatsoever. Honestly, like, it doesn't. Uh, be, <laughs> being honest, uh, this is one of those when they have the movies you never knew were sequels. Like, this is actually one that I was like, oh, okay. Did anyone watch this film not looking for, like, a Rocky Horror sequel? Like, did anyone say, you know what? I don't know anything about this shock treatment, but by God, I want to check it out. Like, that's got to be like half of a percent of the viewership. Everyone who oh. watched this movie had to watch it because it was a, a they, spiritual sequel. To Rocky they, they sold it as a sequel when it came out. But okay. I mean, when they talk about it now, it just usually this doesn't come up a lot, but this is a movie that you either love or hate. And there are actually a lot of people that really love this movie. Well, that's a loss. Um, there are crazy trends in this country. I'll believe anything. Uh, so, I remember when you picked this when we watched it at Mad Chance, I had never heard that Rocky Gore had a sequel. So I definitely can vouch for it not being remembered and known as, as that. Now, people who track it down, I think at that point, know that it is. But yeah, it's, it was so obscure when we watched it that I had never known that there was any more to do with that one-off, which is weird to me to create a sequel to a cult movie. Do you, do you want to try to say what this plot is? Sure. So this is the invention of reality TV. True story. Because uh, this uh, definitely predated everything we know. Um, Don't church it. 
So basically, uh, this is what happens when you have no budget to a cult movie. Um, I think the writer's strike happened too. So they were like, how about we just film it in a studio? Which makes it even more crazier because it's like a studio. It's like the Truman Show uh, meets reality TV, but uh, also an asylum. Uh, but uh, basically, our, there's three characters returning. Uh, which is Brad and Janet. In name only. In name only. Uh, Susan Sarandon wanted too much money, and um, I can't even think of his name right now, but he was Barry making... Barry Bostwick uh, wanted to keep his dignity. He was actually making something else. Um, <laughs> so actually, that's that's why this is shock treatment, too, because this is uh, the original sequel started with Tim Curry, and he didn't want to be a part of it, so that whole plot is now... Uh, this is where I take my first this is where I I have an objection with the movie the first time I cannot stand when you replace an actor with another actor playing a character then you do it with two who are the couple the main couple that's the catalyst for both stories in the original and the sequel why even have them be the same goddamn characters? Right. Which which is funny because a lot of the returning cast are all playing different characters. Yeah. Yeah. So the only person playing the same person, which is, I think he might be in the opening scene of Rocky Horror, is um, uh, Jeremy Newson plays Ralph Hapshat. There's your connective tissue. Which is the <laughs> wedding that they're at in the original movie. So, um... So first off, here's here's a lesson that you should learn is well first off, Rocky Horror was a a huge failure. And then it became a hit. So this movie number one, I don't know how you thought you were gonna make money, but they only did it in the States at midnight, doing midnight shows. You can't nobody can explain like why a movie is a cult movie. Because that's the No, thing. I am <clears throat> and let's be honest here, Rocky Horror is kind of a forced cult movie. Like it, it's a forced midnight movie. Like it was one that was almost like, let's play it at midnight. It'll be funny rather than like, oh God, this movie sucks so bad. We're just going to play it at midnight. Like it's, it's got a weird story. I should have just kind of revisited some of that before I started trying to like play it off the cuff here. But professor, I saw you shaking your head. I think you know some of the story behind like Rocky Horror is not a true midnight movie. No, it, it doesn't have that organic path. Like, it's kind of romanticized. That's not to say people can't enjoy it just sure. the same, but <clears throat> the, the definition of cult movies has become very muddied up over the years. Like, this almost became a midnight movie because people liked it and made it a midnight movie. Rocky right? Horror is one of those... I, I can't think of anything comparatively to Rocky Horror and the type of popularity that it has and with the crowd and the way it's presented with shadow casts and, and all that kind of thing. Now it's just an, a very odd thing as a whole. And then to think you're somehow going to put that lightning in a bottle for a second movie is insane to me. Well, so, so not only that, so I'm just, this is going to be crazy to say, but the fall. So Greece two. <laughs> Greece 2 basically took everything of, from Greece that they could think of and tried to make Greece, which failed. But I like Greece 2. It's dog shit, but at least I can sing to the songs. 
This movie, uh, by the way, I know you guys probably think I love this movie. I hate this movie. Good. You brought this upon us. Oh, yeah. Hey, it was called Dead End Sequels, not Hey, What's Movies You Like? But, but Toddy's hey, Revenge. But Toddy's Revenge, yes, because here's the question that I begged as I watched it. How the fuck does this movie end up on a horror podcast? Because it's a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Which Show. Which Rocky Horror is only horror in that it has horror in the title. Well, actually, actually, <laughs> Meatloaf does well, kill. What, think about when Rocky Horror came out, because that's the thing, too, is so this movie, so Rocky Horror is rated R. This movie's rated PG. Rocky Horror, gay people latched onto, and let's be honest, and I think that's why not all Tim Curry and stuff is cool, but like I hate saying this, I think Meatloaf, definitely the guy that played Rocky. I think a lot of people probably joined Rocky Horror because it was supposed to be um, Frankenfurter. Surprise! is supposed to be the bad guy, which is why he's transsexual, and there was all these gay uh, and people latched onto that part. So you take shock treatment, which actually says the word, and I remind you, it's PG. But it actually says the word faggot. It's very... Faggots are maggots. Yeah, it actually is very anti-gay. So everything that's going for Rocky Horror, you make this movie... But um, don't I have the guy who's Dame Edna in it, though? Still. Still. Continue with your revision. Okay, this this, this isn't a... Let's just. Medea's not in all the high list here, buddy. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, got him. So, uh, poop doo doo music, which sucks because uh, <laughs> Chick from Suspiria actually is a better singer than Brandon. Yeah. So that's the thing about the music. I'm watching it, and Kira keeps getting mad at me. I'm like, these are just poor man's versions of Rocky Horror songs. Like every one of them is just like a ripped tune, a stolen kind of. Rhythm and I'm like these are just bad which is like Grease Two. They're like Grease is about sex, so Grease Two. They sing. They're they're bowling and they're talking about they're gonna score tonight, but it's still a better movie because Grease Two is like queers, queers, boom. They just had us shittier cast. Where this movie's like, it's more of hey, a- gay people love this movie. They feel liberated. Let's call them fags and make a big song about staying in the closet. This movie had none of the the visual aesthetic that Rocky Horror had. Like, just it, it's it put them side by side. They are not the same shit. Mm. Um, Oof! I fucking hate this movie. It's, <laughs> yes, sir. It's it's actually painful but did, to sit there. When, when, so one reason I always post when I'm watching these for the podcast, I try not to put my opinion on there. Right. But I don't know if you saw all the people that chimed in where they were like, they're dressed up as characters and they're meeting the cast, which I'm going to be honest, I'd love to meet the chick from Suspiria. But. but I think that opens up a bigger conversation to people's rabid love for Rocky Horror. Because Man, this movie just but, every decision they made was the wrong one. Well, and that the thing, every, so, every, I mean, literally every here, single the movie. depressing thing, which I don't think it would have been a great film either. But the other, the one that that should have made is the Queen's Revenge, which is that Rocky's mother sends them back to Earth to make more people <clears throat> Transylvanians, and they um, what's the professor's name or whatever? So him and Brad are lovers. And they resurrect uh, Frankenfurter. Susan Sarandon is pregnant by his baby. 
that all makes more sense than any of this. But again, the whole reason they thought they could make these movies is because Rocky Horror, through the midnight showings, became a hit. You cannot... All the movies pandering. They're they're being cute with trying to go more eccentric, and everyone can see <laughs> through it. None of it jives. You know what I mean? And so that's that's my biggest problem with it. Like, I have a very unpopular opinion on this whole topic. I prefer Phantom of the Paradise to Rocky Horror oh, Picture Show awesome. or this. I Paul Williams wrote the music. It has actual gore and horror in it. The songs are catchy as shit. That's also got Harper in it. That's that's my style. So I may objectively not be the best person to talk about this because I respect Rocky Horror, but I've never been over the moon for it like a lot of people are. So a sequel that is insultingly trying to pull from that it is an actual taxing experience. I'm During the entire film, this is a remarkable feat for a filmmaker. I don't care about anybody during the entire thing. From start to finish, I'm never interested in anything. Oh. Even with musicals at times, if I'm not into the plot or you know, like the narrative vehicle or any of that, all these by like that song, this person's good on screen. Nothing. The characters, this has the no characters are one dimensional. I mean, it is it's, completely one dimensional. They're, they're like paper dolls. Like yeah, it's, but it's like watching a fucking training video but, at your new but job. The thing <laughs> an hour and a half. The thing that's crazy though, is you take a movie though, that you're trying to make, the same move you're trying to you're trying to bottle that, but you you do it by alienating the fan base of that original movie and recreating nothing <laughs> that made it work. Yeah. They're like trying to be like outside of the box. This is the maga version of Rocky it. <laughs> And I, I <laughs> let's let's be real. Forty years before maga this is Mike Pence's favorite movie, Shock Treatment. Just saying, <laughs> mother. <laughs> um, I, I'm I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> And just to see the look on his face and his body language of where he's at right now in this conversation. Prove me wrong. It looks, I'm sure, exactly what it looked like an hour ago when we were recording Hell House with me sitting on the other side. Yeah, this this is an hour and a half. It feels like three and a half. Oh, I, mean, I, I was praying for the end of this movie. I feel like I could have watched Titanic twice. I'd already seen this and hated it the first time. <laughs> But when it was picked, I didn't want to be negative before people had seen it. Well, it's, people haven't watched it yet. It's no fun with somebody going, oh, my God. But oh, my bad. I knew that uh, <laughs> I was uh, wondering if the second time around I'd soften. And not a bit. Doo-doo, baby. It's rough. I mean, it's it, the only way I'd recommend this to anybody. I, like, I noticed none of us are even going through the plot. No. Because it's not bo- Because it's barely it. there. It's non-existent. Yeah. I was going to say the plot is basically that uh, it really doesn't even... Because I'm like, are they... I just feel like everybody's crazy, and I'm crazy for watching it. That's, that's the plot. <laughs> uh, uh, we find out Brad has like a twin brother who's like this crazy. weird, uh, crazy, like almost like menace TV, like minister, weird character. And... Uh, Honestly, the the whole reason I watched it the first time is I thought they're going to pull the rug out because I was like, a lot of the returning cast is playing similar characters, and I thought they're going to be like, oh, well, this is just a ruse, and here's what we're really doing. But again, it's just I don't know. Like Brad and Janet weren't even needed. Like the whole no, especially to bother to recast them with two different actors. Why even have those characters for a story that doesn't carry any continuity? That's interesting. And you know, like that you don't have anything. In those songs, there is not one song on there that is time warp quality. 
Well, nothing. And, and there's a movie, mine, that even uses connective tissue without forcing anything in the narrative. Like, you you connect the world, fine, but then do your own thing. Like, so, it's just way too much work for nothing. So, again, and, and, and this movie, I actually... Because this is uh, this is eighty one, so it's kind of hard to find early box office numbers unless it's like really big movie. But I don't think this movie costs much to make, and definitely because uh, with the the writer strike and stuff, that's why they threw themselves in a studio. So, did they have stray dogs? <laughs> Pretty much, but they uh, even though this movie's not made for a lot, I mean this movie, this like a Rocky Horror tanked. This movie really tanked. So you say, but. It kind of boggles me that Arrow has, like, an expensive release of this. Yeah. People buy it up. And I get, like, I mean, I own, I still own the DVD copy that I had in the bottom of my old car where Anna Freeze poured through. And so <laughs> the cover's warped and everything. But I'm like, I don't want to pay more money for it. You guys, just to I have. Want, I want to purchase every copy so I can soak it in Anna Freeze. <laughs> so yeah. no one get like it like off the street. Atari game. Yes. Out the desert. And, and here's the thing, guys. Keep in mind. There are those of us at the table that genuinely enjoy watching Troll 2. Mm-hmm. Oh, shape or form. Yeah. Every, everything. Rocky Horror is fun. And maybe the first, I'm gonna, we were talking about this at work because people were like, I watched Rocky Horror. I watched half of Rocky Horror. I didn't get it. The first time I watched Rocky Horror, I was like, what the fuck did I watch? Because that's the thing, too. I was always thought Rocky Horror was terrifying because all I knew about it is they only showed it at midnight. And, well, in Indiana, it was. Well, I mean, it still is. <laughs> but, uh, Rocky Horror is fun. And again, it's like, there's not a lot of movies that came out when Rocky Horror did. Even even Shock, there's not a lot of early 80s movies that if you were a weirdo or gay or anything different, that you could just latch onto and go. Uh, the big theme of Rocky Horror, in fact, is don't dream it, be it. So this one's like, don't be it, faggot. Get in the closet. Or I'm going to beat you with a rubber hose. I took treatment. more the idea of this movie to be... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you sound just like what's her name singing. <laughs> so, uh, do we need to even give her closing thoughts on this? I think we pretty much told everybody how bad we hate it. it. Would anybody recommend it in any capacity? There are no redeeming. If qualities. you have some brazier, like maybe Rocky Horror, you have like, some brazier. You have braziers in your closet. Then watch <laughs> Rocky Horror. If you love Rocky Horror, and it's because honestly, that's how I stumbled upon it. Is Kind of like those goofy TV movies where it's like, well, I like Romeo and Michelle. Let me watch this shit. If you like Rocky Horror, I would say watch Hell House LLC. (laughs) (laughs) I would say there's really only one path that I would recommend watching this. If you were doing a case study on Stray Dog's writing ability, (laughs) maybe. Now, this man, I can't recommend this to anyone, even people who love Rocky Horror. Like, I just... No, I I was going to say, I, I wouldn't even recommend it. Like, but if you were like, Again, I think it's almost that weird Fine. curiosity to like, what? There is a sequel? Yeah. But there again, there's weird people that like this thing. But You know what? I think there is a place for this film. And that would be um, when we... Under an empty egg carton in your trash can. No, when we detain people and we need to get information <laughs> from them, we make them watch I this feel over. Like, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like people... Uh, Excuse me, sir. Do you want the waterboarding or shock treatment? <laughs> But you guys don't know that in the state of Indiana, shock treatment is illegal, so they actually show this movie to convert <laughs> gay kids to say, I will never watch Rocky Horror again. <laughs> so, 
All right, moving right <laughs> along. God, we wasted like that wasn't time. too much of a bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said. A wounded knee. That's what we all look like uh, Patrick Bateman right now. <laughs> not sure what history books you, you're reading, but... Okay, next up. Indians cried because they were so happy. Go ahead. White man's... Well, you, you, we're not allowed to say the title anymore, right? you, you got to tell us. Next I'm up. just shocked that you're letting me do it. <laughs> Shock treatment works. <laughs> the Descent Part 2. <laughs> Fuck it. We're doing it live. <laughs> Go. 2009. <laughs> directed by John Harris. Returning cast member Sean McDonald. Natalie Mendoza. <laughs> and then Josh <coughs> Dallas and Jessica Williams and Douglas Hodge. Josh Dallas, son of Diamond Dallas Page. Well, I didn't, know didn't know that. Creator of the show, Dallas. <laughs> he's not the creator. He's who shot JR. <laughs> Dallas is in Texas. <laughs> I've heard that. It also means five. <laughs> There's nobody listening anymore. Welcome. We're having fun. <laughs> the Descent 2. This was my pick. Um, Not the electric boogaloo. <laughs> no, no, no. This is Descent Two. Weird creature in the cave boogaloo. Um, I chose this because so the first time around, first time I watched the Descent, I wasn't crazy about it. But then the second time I watched the Descent, I really enjoyed it, and so I thought I should check out the sequel. And, and I was like, this was kind of found footage after all. <laughs> 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 uh, and I think The Descent 2 is a decent sequel. Uh, so I thought this was my first time watching it, but it was actually my second. I'm watching it, I'm like, huh. That's lending its credibility to being decent. <laughs> I remember that. The is what it's called. My yeah. goodness, I remember that. Have you all seen this one before? Yes. I had seen this one time. Okay. Nay, I had not. Uh, I watched this one time. It, it took me a while to watch it, to be honest, because I really like the original. Mm -hmm. This definitely came out. Uh, I mean, not that they still aren't churning them out, but um, I think for local, at least local, if not America, I think this came out straight to video. Yeah. It's just like, well, this yeah. is going to be hot garbage. So uh, it took me a while to watch this movie. Uh, I think this might be my second viewing. Okay. So this is a direct sequel to the first film, like immediate follow-up. And this is also based on the... True story. Yes, of the baby Jessica that fell down the <laughs> So this is a direct... This is what really happened. <laughs> so this is a direct sequel to the original, based on the ending where Sarah escapes, not the ending where she hallucinates that she's back down in the cave. Um... And so Sarah can't remember nothing. I, in fact, my notes say Sarah can't remember shit. She don't even remember that her daughter is dead, right? So that's kind of weird. And so uh, they send some rescue crews in. They find her. There's the, the, the chapel mine shaft. Um, the rescue squad goes in looking for survivors, okay? Because she can't even tell them who's alive or dead. Or what happened. And so um, that's kind of the setup. How y'all feel about the setup here? Pretty basic. I mean, it's, yeah. it's what you would expect. It, my only problem with the setup and the general idea for the movie is, is this really the team we're sending back down there? 
That I'll, and I'll say this from the beginning, though I think this is a, a decent film. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, no, it's I'm, not. No, no, no I'm just saying it. it's a completely unnecessary sequel. Yeah. Do you know what it was missing? What? John Voight. <laughs> With a weird accent. And Tim Curry from Congo. <laughs> I thought you were going to... Great actors doing bad <laughs> accents. Red Beatty and his tiny one. Throw those two on an adventure, and you watch the magic it creates. <laughs> yeah. Um, any Todd, anything to say from the beginning here? Uh, I, I, like, honestly, I, I if I was going to make this movie, that's probably the way you have to go, because why in God's name would she ever go back to the cave unless she just can't remember anything. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and and I, I will say, um, I, I forgot most of this movie, so I was like, well, I, I guess this corpse is alive. And a rat crawls out of her mouth, and I was like, Bleh. That yeah. scene was sweet. <laughs> yes, so that was my next note. So so not only do we we maybe not just have them, oh, we're popping right back out of the walls again, right? Like, kind of yeah. keeping them creepy and, and, and mysterious again. But yeah, that mutilated body, they were like, oh, is it alive? Because it's like head moves. No. And a rat moving out of its mouth. That was the big surprise for me on this movie, is this movie was much more of a gore fest than I was expecting it to be by the time yeah. it was over. I was surprised to, it's like, just when you think you're all maxed out on weird fetishes you've developed over the years. <laughs> <laughs> you like the rat going back in? Or? Exactly. In and out. We, <laughs> we, like, we like what we like. Do you? Yeah, I'm not going to yuck your yum. So... Um, <laughs> Then she has a flashback. She freaks out. She starts attacking. Like, because she's just, you know, traumatic, right? Yeah. Post traumatic. Uh, the, the poor man's John Boyd mansplains to her. <laughs> and then the sheriff fires his gun, which they had told him repeatedly not to do. <laughs> do not shoot your gun. By God, I ain't going nowhere without my gun. All right, here comes trouble, sheriff. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> yes, thank you for pre- <laughs> Professor Dumbbitch. <laughs> Which, as they said would happen, causes the cave to collapse. And so they get split up. People get trapped. Uh, claustrophobia sets in again, as it did in the first film for many of the scenes. Like that um, shit where they're swimming underneath. Just, nope. no, no, thank you. Nope. Nope. Du- ducking down, like having to float on your back to come up and get a little bit of air, like with your lips barely above the water. The, the, the no, sad, sir. The you guys must have freaked out when you were born. <laughs> <laughs> Read a book. <laughs> no, it is intense. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny, too. Like, I'm a strong swimmer. Like, I was a certified lifeguard in high school. I still am not just swimming into did holes you, that I don't you know what's on the other side. Uh, listen, listen to Al Bundy bragging about what he was in high school. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you this. I bet you I got to a football over the mountains. <laughs> like uh, like the last Blair Witch movie, I realized that I'm dead because my fat ass ain't getting through any of these tunnels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Winnie the Pooh, boy. Oh, there, there'd be no sequel if I were her. I'm, I'm like, I'm I'll gonna, give you all notes. Do you see me? I'm not going back down there with you. I'm going to need a piglet to push me out of this rock. What <laughs> <laughs> about that scene where they um, go back to back to climb up out of that hole. Y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, You're just looking at me because you don't like it. Okay. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, wait. I was like, like Requiem for a Dream? I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> ass to ass. <laughs> Old moon landing. That was great. It, it, 
instead of just directly doing the same stuff over again for the first, because one of the things in that first one that was so effective was a claustrophobia. So it's like you find a different way to yeah exploit it, and they did. Yeah, it was effective. Yeah, cool I scene. Agree. And I went back and re-listened to our episode where we talked about the first movie. And in that, the first movie, I said that normally I'm a creature feature person, but I found that introducing the creatures in that first movie didn't work as well for me, surprisingly, because the claustrophobia was working so well for the other one that I didn't think it would felt necessary. But when you go into a sequel and you already know that that's established, I don't have that objection with it now. And uh, so I do enjoy it more as a creature feature romp. I accept it because I know it's going to be part of it anyway, going into it. And also, like the first one, because I think I think having both works for these movies because the jump scares are effective in both movies because they scare the shit out of me, even in the first one when I know it's coming. But I think that's part of it too is that with the claustrophobia, it's kind of like you're you're kind of focusing on one thing and then the next thing, one of the little uh, I, I don't know what we call them, but the the face rapers. Uh, I was waiting on <laughs> you to come up with an offensive term. I knew it was coming. <laughs> you're thinking you're. Wait, did you watch Feast? You said face rapers. <laughs> no, this is the descent too. Yes, the electric boogaloo. Uh, they're looking for ladies. So then we get to the scene <laughs> where they have to swing on the dead body. That's my favorite part of the movie. Oh, man. And it's so chaotic. It, it's a great scene. Yeah, I like the... I like the what's at stake, too. That drop underneath them is massive. And that's evidenced by seeing them fall and fall and fall until they go into the dark and you're still hearing the sounds. Um, it's done really cool. I mean, it, it has... It reminds me even of vibes from older movies where we're concentrated on the ceiling and the little space that we're at. Kind of like uh, Adam Costello meet the killer where mm-hmm. they're down in caves. Um, but it's executed really well with, with, cause I actually got uncomfortable both times watching this. It's always what stands out to me is when they, they catch on to her while she's out there and you're thinking about like, what do you do here? I mean, obviously the dude gets attacked and saves her mm-hmm. and goes down and gets him off, but it's such a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else think that the blood looked a little like Hammer films in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> that red was a little, too, little too painty red. I I think they probably almost did that on purpose to get away with a rating because because this one was pretty gruesome. I it might help too with the the dark and the mud down there mm-hmm. to help distinguish it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mud. <laughs> <laughs> How about when they end up in the water and that creature comes out? Oh yeah, and turns around and shit turns around and just starts pooping <laughs> in the water. That's the grossest shit. I was like, wow. Okay, I remember watching and thinking, this is still a quality movie, but that did not help its case for me <laughs> exactly. surpassing the first one. Yeah, yeah. comes in and poops in the water that they're hiding in. <laughs> Talking about mud. Let's talk about mud. <laughs> I, I I do like to uh, deleted scene where the she face raper comes up to the gentleman pooping and is like. Hey, baby, hey, baby. <laughs> that, that took a much more wholesome turn. <laughs> yeah. Than I was gonna yeah. Take. <laughs> yeah, I had a Kleenex out. You're all sick. <laughs> You're all sick. It, uh, that thing's shit quick, though. Now, I'm living the dream. Yeah, it literally just crop dusted the corner. Well, it just when, came out, dropped uh, it, was off. When you're just sucking blood, I mean, it comes out fast. 
Todd knows from experience. <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> so uh, also, besides the poop pit, let's talk about the fine <laughs> Juno. <laughs> That's what I used to call the Wendy's ball pit. <laughs> <laughs> Ball pits. That's why they got rid of them. Um, so they find that Juno is a lot. And Sarah are the ones that had the beef from the first movie, right? So now things get interesting. Now it's like Tupac and Biggie. Yes, exactly. In a cave with a poop pit. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> it was released in Australia, is that? <laughs> so my notes get a little straight to your, uh, you know, the... The chief... Uh, he says his notes get a little strange. <laughs> the chief uh, uses his handcuff to cut that arm, which was pretty crazy. You remember that? That was gnarly. Yes. As far as gore, yeah. Um, the girls fight off the critters. Uh, Juno actually dies again. Um, Did you know she was supposed to come back in the third one? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see myself out. Uh, Sarah sacrifices herself and the deputy escapes. But that's not the end. Mm. In the end, we find out that the old man, Hillbilly, is feeding these critters. <laughs> because as the old boy gets out, he clocks him in the head <laughs> and tosses him back down the hole. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah just sacrificed herself so the deputy could escape and he gets fed back to the critters. I hate that ending. I do too. <laughs> yeah, it's that, so lame. The first movie is so bleak. We come back with a sequel and we make it more fun. We raise the gore up. You get way more of the creatures in your face. That's what people are there for. Yeah. And we have to end it with that. The mother, who we've seen on the phone talking to her kids earlier in the film, for a pointless ending. Like, we couldn't show that guy doing that at some point else in the movie. We couldn't just let her leave. Yeah. Like the like I said, the first movie is such a nut punch the whole time. It's depressing as shit. The reason they're out there is a group of girls getting together after tragedy. Yeah. Uh, like the whole series has been that through the first and all the way up to the end. And I that that just irks me. Like it's so that unnecessary. It was a very wrong turn ending. Yeah, it's from that period where everything was like that. Like all the hostile movies, you turn just everything was bleak. It's like let people leave having fun. <laughs> let them go. Just let them have fun, man. I <clears throat> I think that this movie was better than I expected and probably better than it almost should have been. Yeah. No, I would agree but with that. I, I think this one had, like, even maybe a higher budget than the first movie. I think Neil Marshall directing the first is what made that such a great movie. But I think that this second one does exactly what it should. Mm -hmm. My complaint with the end is a minor gripe. Yeah. Like... The movie itself completely nails what people are there for. Yeah. At this point, we know all about what's down there. Make it fun. And they do. Yep. I agree. I I think this is a rather enjoyable sequel, and I would recommend this. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> I concur. Okay. Moving right along, and let's see what surprise Toddy <laughs> has in store for us this time. <laughs> Dr. Fives Rises Again, 1972. Written and directed by Robert Feust. What was that? Feust. Okay. Or Feist. F U E S T. I just laughed at Todd's sound after he said Vincent it. Vincent Price. Valley Camp. Um, oh, and then just my, my third note was actually that this was a planned trilogy. Really? Yep. 
Yes, it was. <laughs> Did you know that, Winsome? I didn't know that. Well, they never made it. Yeah, so that, it's like it never happened. So. There was even talk after Vincent Price, like years after Vincent Price was gone, of having uh, oh, the, from Clockwork Orange. Uh, oh. He was in Halloween as Dr. Loomis. I know exactly. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell play Fives. I was going to say, because uh, uh, they had... Interesting. Uh, the Fives Resurrection, The Seven Fates of Dr. Fives, seven or The Brides of, of Dr. Fives. But what's the film studio that put these out? I don't that, know. That's kind of the, the the one I read was that Vincent Price and the company were like at ends with each other. And, uh, New Line Cinema. <laughs> so so it, it never happened. It was the Weinstein Brothers. It, it ended with this sequel here. And basically the, the synopsis of the movie is that the basic plot of this movie oh. is that Dr. Fives, we pretty much start at the end where they're about to catch Fives after he's done all these murders for revenge for his wife dying on the surgical table. He's killed off the doctors. The detectives are about to close in on him. He descends down into the bowels of his mansion and climbs into a crypt with his deceased wife and begins to embalm himself with a Hell device. Yeah. And as the vault closes <laughs> over the top of him is right when the detectives walk in and they... What happened? What happened? They Where'd can't he go? find him. Yeah. So this they just heard this voice come from the floor that just says, We're on the moon, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie picks up with... You see Fives, the, the formaldehyde, go out of his body and the blood put back in. His vault reopen. And he comes out, and his mansion has been destroyed over the top of him, but he had been basically put himself in... in Where's the safe? <laughs> he, he had put himself in uh, hibernation, basically, so that he could come out at the right time because he, he was... He an apple. Because he was going to Egypt to be able to resurrect his dear wife with this Egyptian... Magic, basically, <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's the loose with, logic that you are dealing with. With Doctor Fives rises again with magic hieroglyphics. So pretty yes. quickly in the movie, they make good on the title, though. Yes, they do. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. He uh, had the the showbiz pizza um, <laughs> army, and uh, so <laughs> have any of you guys seen this before? This was probably my third viewing. Uh, I want to say second because when you picked the original movie, I had never seen either, so I watched both. Toddy so, does love the extra credit, um, but I but for these, I, I've just watched the standalone movie, so it's been a while since I watched the original. Uh, but I honestly, it's one of those where pre VCRs they show you all you need to know at the beginning. So yeah. that's true. Before I tell you what I felt about this, I want to tell you that when I said that. <laughs> New Line was the studio. <laughs> I had an image in my head of the third film where Bob Shea plays Dr. Fives. <laughs> That's why I couldn't stop laughing. I laughed earlier and then made a weird face because I looked over and was actually startled because I thought you were doing something inappropriate. He had his head up and was just shaking with both of his hands down under the table where I couldn't see him. And it was very uncomfortable. Well, you should be uncomfortable. Well, that is indicative of how much I enjoyed this film. <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm just going to say from the top here, um, the first uh, Fives film, The Abominable Dr. Fives, um, just kind of hit me at a weird time and I didn't know what to expect and I wasn't crazy about it. Uh -huh. Too much opera. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's a 
weird movie. Let's yeah, it is. Weird. Yeah. Especially for Vincent Price. Yes. Right? And it's a weird movie. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And watching this one, I really enjoyed this because I kind of knew what to expect. Another precursor to Saul. And then I and, and so now retroactively, I have a new appreciation for the first film. Fair enough. <laughs> Unexpected. Yeah, yeah, unexpected. Because even a lot of Vincent Price fans ripped this movie apart. This, look, I grew up on these movies. My dad was, a, that's why I'm named Vincent, because Vincent Price is my dad's favorite actor, so I was very versed in Vincent Price as a kid. The Dr. Fives movies were a big hit at my house. I've seen them countless times, and I like this movie. This is an inferior movie to the original I agree with that, but, uh, but the, the kills are the kills are. I don't know if I want to say fun, but they're inventive, and it and it feels like the same universe. Yeah. Uh, I think that Vincent Price. I think this felt more tongue in cheek than the original did, even though they're both mostly I see classified as comedies, horror comedies. Uh, I think this one was a little more tongue in cheek. I don't feel like Vincent Price was a serious in playing it the second time. Because one thing I always praise Vincent Price for in the original is he was very good at not showing any expression on his face. The reason being because it's a mask, basically, that Fives is wearing. He's not so careful on this one. (laughs) You get a lot of smirking and things like that out of him on that one. I mean, it's a very small gripe. But I I don't think it's as strong a movie as the original movie, but I still get all the same fun out of the sequel as I did with the original. Without question. The original is is such a unique, bizarre little slice that I like that there's a little bit more with this sequel. Yes. You get all the things that that you wanted. You get his, what is it, the clockwork band? Yeah. His automated band. You get Volnavia, although played by a different actress. Yeah. Is in it as a silent, beautiful assistant. Uh, it it's an it's an odd flick. Like, how about when uh the this guy gets bit by the venomous snakes but they're but but, but they're bows. <laughs> but but then he also you takes can't. a chunk out of his arm, sucks the poison out, and thinks he's gonna make it and answers the phone. You can't talk about the snakes when professors out of the end. Like that was That's a true. big one. That's why he ran. That's why he See, went. He was like, Nope, ain't talking about yeah, the snakes. Do it. Ain't talking about snakes. <laughs> I heard him scream something. <laughs> um Yeah, I I just like that he, you know, when he when he's reanimated, when he rises again, he just expects his mansion to be there. And he comes up and he's like, what has happened? <laughs> Where did it go? <laughs> it's like, come on, bro. This ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's rubble all around. I love, I love it's rubble and then you just see this organ come up out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing blocking its path, just straight up out of there. Oh, I love it. Yeah, like <laughs> not even like the ruins of his place. Like, it's a slab, like it's taken down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another great surprise for me was because maybe not a surprise, maybe the first time I saw, but Peter Cushing, one of my favorites. Peter Cushing shows up in this movie. You guys know I'm talking about snakes. Yeah, <laughs> no, we wanted to get your opinion on the. Yeah, get snakes. in here. Tell us about those poisonous boas. Fuck that. <laughs> I don't care what contraptions you make or if they're fake and robots, whatever. Just, no. I, every time I see a snake on screen, I'm just like, ugh, fucking snakes. Kill them all. Uh, what about where he puts the, the dude in the big gin bottle and throws him into the ocean? 
<laughs> First off, he's not going to be able to throw that man into the ocean by himself. And then he's going to put him in a giant bottle and throw him in. But it's fun. I love it. I love it. I, I am astounded by this. I Because for these movies where we have done... The originals first. I went back and listened to the episodes. You you did not have a favorable review for five, so I thought you were absolutely going to find this to be a chore. And I well, by God, pleasantly I was, surprised. I was not looking forward to it. Pleasantly surprised and that you I actually s- enjoyed this. And then when I saw that the runtime was three hours and five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> folks, that's a joke. That venomous uh, uh, one here got it from Netflix, and it is on old a, school Netflix. Yeah, where they send you a disc. Kids, look that up on the internet. Um, and so it was a double feature of Abominable <laughs> Dr. Fives and Dr. Fives Rises again. And so I pull it out, my old sour ass, just looking at the runtime. I'm like, what am I into now? And it says three hours, five <laughs> minutes. And I nearly faint, literally. And then I look and I see that it's the runtime. How many hours uh, last week did you watch Walker, Texas Ranger? Yep, 16. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, the worst part is if you're feeling sour about watching Vincent Price, you can't admit it. You don't want to say it out loud. No, not allowed. Not allowed. And so that's also, if anything, is like, um, I think that's why Fives hit me so weird the first time I watched it, because like my favorite Vincent Price movie is um, The Mask of the Red Death. Oh, that's a good one. And so, like, to just come off of just, like, for me, like, that's, that's it's just such a tour de force. Well, it's also very non-ham. Exactly. Which is what exactly. most of his career is. Right, right, right. So I go from, like, that's my favorite film, and, and this is, like, a new one I'm checking out, and I'm like, what the fuck is well, that? I, right. I think, it, I think it ups the the anti with uh, the anti with the fact that he's wearing a mask, so it's just this weird... It's even weirder, because the lips never move. Cause the, the man mask, has a yeah. phonograph yeah, jacket it's just really, neck. really weird. It is one of the weirder movies we've ever covered. And then the, the but kill- we dismiss that to a certain degree because it's Vincent Price. I was gonna say, when you really take a step back and look at it, this is bizarre. Because again, yeah. like, well, like what, else, what other movie would, like they actually get, they're going to get killed by the snakes, but not this movie. He answers the phone it, and it's like, <laughs> it's basically like if Jigsaw were Wiley Coyote. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh my God. There is the acne uh, airplane scene. <laughs> but that was also what turned me off to the first film, is that you have Vincent Price, who's such a talented actor, and you don't let him move his lips. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that Egyptian cave secret lair. Boy, this is getting... Oh, you're not going to talk about the... Uh, uh, were they... Was that a sausage maker? What the hell was that that he shoved the guy in? Where he puts his head in the... Just like shrinking, like where he compacts. The oh, guy right, where, where, yeah, where he basically puts the guy in a giant vice and it yeah. just starts mm, pulling yeah, out yeah. and smashing him. Up oh, you mean the end of the film? I was talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about the end uh, with the weird Egyptian room. Well, he finds that like a third of the way. Yeah. I thought we were under the water and with the weird salt contractions. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Like, am, am I crazy? <laughs> we spend a bit, of, a good bit of time because there's the other guy. Once they get to Egypt, there's another guy who is also basically looking for the same thing that Fives is. We left that part out. Did you hit record? (laughs) Did we do introductions? (laughs) Because this other guy, basically the other guy is like this immortal guy who's kept himself alive for years. And that's who's been stealing his shit. That's who's stealing Fives' clues so that he can get there first and 
live longer and or forever by just trying to get to it so that he can resurrect his wife. Wasn't this also an episode of South Park called Chicken Fucker? (laughs) (laughs) Not tracking, but I'm going to let you have that one. (laughs) The librarian was fucking chickens because he was trying to get people to read. (laughs) No? All right. Again, going to let you have it. I'm sure some of the listeners may know what you're talking about. (laughs) So, uh, one of my favorite scenes is when Fives is Hiding in plain sight. Yes, yeah. Listening to the, the, them excavating in there oh, yeah, yeah. about what they're gonna do, and he's got all of his wig and makeup off, so he's just like skull face, and he's down like with a pile of skulls in the sand, just listening in. That part is fantastic. That's I love a, that part. That's Vincent's whole thing, because again, that's a uh, almost said last house in love, but the last man on earth, where he's just. Just chilling on the side, like, back. Do it. Do it. <laughs> back. Back, you devils. <laughs> so, yeah. So he I, has an Egyptian cave, secret <laughs> lair, with a fucking organ in it, and the fucking TikTok robot band. Yes. Man. My goodness. And he's got Volnavia up there painting murals, and he's coming up and pointing at pictures and be like, no, no, no. This man <laughs> like this. just said every F-bomb for... He's built that up. I just... I love that this character has every bit of rage internalized, all of the resources he needs to carry out whatever he wants, and he's just, like, mischievous. Yeah. You you, you pointed out best on the episode for the Abominable Dr. Fives where he's a comic book villain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they even basically use... That origin with Mister Freeze and Batman the Animated I was, Series. Oh, well, I was going to say, I feel like he went from this to was it Mister Egg he played on Batman? Egghead. <laughs> but it was a uh, so he he <laughs> you know various saw like murders happen, <laughs> but he gets old. the The guy who's trying to be immortal gets his his fiance. And puts her in a trap where when the is it the water from the Nile comes in because of where the moon's positioned or something, yeah. and she would raise up and he's got these spikes sticking out of the ceiling. So it says the guy, look, you can either stop me, classic villain shit, or you can save your old lady. And so the guy goes to save his, his old lady, and my favorite part is his five had it rigged where it wouldn't have even killed her. <laughs> like, the tide wasn't, wasn't even going to go that high. It was just to keep him distracted so that he could sail off and let's just hit the end. Once again, we end with somewhere over the <laughs> rainbow playing, which is so such an odd choice. I see and not a like, resurrected wife, either. Oh, no, but they're on their way. They're on their, their way to go have her resurrected. Sure. I see as he's up, like he's in Italy, yeah, he's, with his long stick in the canal yeah. and a boat with her and her body that has a hood ornament on the <laughs> casket. Somebody's gripe about this movie was that Somewhere Over the Rainbow was from Wizard of Oz, and this movie took place two years before Wizard of Oz. That was the gripe of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a gobble, a guy. Oh, <laughs> Um... Yeah, I think it's just weird that there's like no resolution at the end. Like we don't they didn't get to make that third movie. Yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, five gets away. He's on his way to go resurrect his old lady. It just ends with somewhere over the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is basically what happens when you popularize LSD and <laughs> lift the code on filmmaking, <laughs> and we don't get our new line third film with Bob Shea. <laughs> <laughs> 
with his recovering alcohol hair. Um, one other thing I want to say. Which is weird because Vincent Price was wearing a Vincent Price mask. Why couldn't they just get somebody else? <laughs> That's right, to wear a Vincent Price mask. Vincent Christ! Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a throwback joke to Vinny's yeah, kid. My kid, when he was little, I was listening to Misfits Return of the Fly, and he was singing along, and he says, Return of the Fly with Vincent Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, we also neglected the, the bumbling detectives. Oh, yes. Same one. Uh, British Al Bundy is almost chasing you. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is when they're talking about trying to solve this case. And they're like, yes, uh, he's been murdered. And the guy goes, murdered? He goes, killed. He goes, yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got the same detectives on the cases from the first movie, which is, I like how much of the cast was brought back. Volnavia was recast, but no biggie. I can get by that. Like I said in other episodes, I'm not a fan of recasting characters, but Volnavia, eh, I can deal with it. Yeah, especially she's silent. Yes. So I, I, I had fun with it. I, I finally got Grizz sold on Doctor Five's movies. But I said it. I didn't think this was going to be the movie to do it. Oh yeah. Rejoice. You can thank Todd too for picking Shock Treatment, which then made this <laughs> it's seem the more palatable. Yeah. I'm just yeah. watching it. And I'm like, God, thank God, this is so we're. Uh, it sounds like we're going to do all black and white films from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, would y'all recommend Doctor Five's Rises again? I enjoy it. If you uh, like the first movie, you have to watch it. Yeah, yeah, without question. Especially, or if you're interested in, in Price and and some stuff from the past, I'd recommend that. It's always cautious if a, you have a young viewer who yeah. hasn't done a lot of stuff. This is pretty weird, uh, but most of the people are already going to be and, know those past. It's not as strong it. of a film as the original, but it's still going to give you the same brand of fun that you got. I was going to say, in a weird way, it's not as good a film as the original, but it's a better Vincent Price movie. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. And I was going to say, too, um, it's not really gruesome, so it's almost, it is definitely suitable if maybe younger viewers oh, yeah. are I watch trying to get in to watch. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Round and third, Head and Hell, coming in with the professor's pick. Hot Toddy, what do you got for us? Pit Cemetery 2, 1992, directed by Mary Lambert, starring Edward Furlong. Anthony Edwards, Clancy Brown, Jared Rushton, uh, Jason McGuire. Also wrote Jerry McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> Who's coming with me? <laughs> Benny don't want to talk. He ain't going to talk about it. So, Professor, set us up. Uh, basically, uh, so real quick, we'll skip over Benny, who's not at the table, but first time viewing? Or first, first time viewing? First time viewing. I saw this in the dark uh, multiplex thing that they show movies off a projector of. This sounds uh, dangerous. And I know Vinny <laughs> has seen it before just because he referenced it being on TV a lot growing up. Oh, okay. Um, so the reason I picked this is um, I think it's a very interesting example, much like Texas Chainsaw, where you get the same director doing a very bizarre, tonally different film than the original. Um, and so with Pet Cemetery 2, uh, we have a lot of connective tissue uh, with the location 
but not the characters from the original, which I think is a very good thing because uh, but the, they're all mentioned. Right. And so you will have things. You will go by an old mailbox. You will have references of somebody who dealt with the cat uh, church from the original. So we, we make it clear that we're within that world, but we're not relying on it. Yeah. Which is good because the first movie is very dark and upsetting. Um, and this is at times very playful mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of uh, black comedy and gore that, that isn't present in the first one. So, um, and I referenced that you had seen this before because it was on TV frequently uh, while you were Yeah, going. this is something that was ran as like on those Farmer 4 channels that I had, like a Saturday afternoon matinee shit all the time. Yeah. Um, so we opened the film on a movie set, which, surprise, surprise, I'm a fan of a movie that takes place about what? Uh, making movies. Um, but we have a woman who basically expires while making a movie due to uh, mishaps. She goes up in flames, and uh, we have uh, one of the greatest screams you'll ever hear uh, in cinema history from Eddie Furlong. <laughs> Benny, would you like to add any commentary to that? Uh, as I watched this movie, I text Grizz and the professor, and I said, boy, there's one thing I did not miss about movies from the 90s, and that's Eddie Furlong's uh, puberty screams. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, you're like yodels almost, and then catches a second wind and rises up and goes. And uh, it happens multiple times. Oh yeah. Which is. It's, yeah, exactly. That was, uh, that was lovely. How am I supposed to continue now? So that's just gold. It's like Tina's mom in Friday 7. <laughs> Tina! <laughs> um, so. Was that like Heidi? <laughs> or yes. the sound of music? Let me finish. No, no, no. You're all right. Keep the other one. Argue, whatever you want. Um, so, obviously, that's a traumatic experience with the son uh, witnessing his mom <laughs> dying during the filmmaking. Obviously. Oh, man. This is uh, uncomfortable. So, uh, from there, after the tragedy, uh, she is buried back in Ludlow, where our first original film is set. And uh, the father and the son move back, and he opens up his And the Holy there. Spirit. Yeah. I, I was also going to say, too, uh, you know, to show respects, the local sheriff comes up and was like, I used a finger bang your mom. <laughs> 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 yeah, he did. Oh, oh, Clancy Brown. Brown showing up. Well, Mr. Krabs just... <laughs> Listen, it on me, Clancy <laughs> Brown is the go-to for bad guy with a badge in Stephen King related to anything. I'm a big fan of Clancy Brown. I love Clancy Brown. Brown. Oh, he's great. Do yeah. you say badge or badge? <laughs> Clean it up, Lord. buddy. Uh, badge. So get a he, hobby. No, and just disclaimer: he's what makes this movie worth watching. Sure, he is just and off I, the rails. I, I equally love the, the kid from Big, though. Oh, boy, yes. Uh, so they move back to Ludlow, and we have uh, kind of your traditional tropes that you would have with new kid uh, trying to get adjusted to the new setting. He is being bullied uh, by a kid named Clyde who that kid plays it perfectly, as you referenced. Uh, but like, I think there'll be a bully and have the name Clyde. Do you feel like the the role should have been kind of flipped? Does it Furlong look more like the greasy bully kid? Yeah, we, but in fairness, they show you the scream at the beginning. He's <laughs> not the bully. I'm like, <laughs> he's, he's the swarmed one. Eddie Furlong has a knife. Look, I need this kitty. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we quit. But the preppy bullies picking on the greasy kid. Yeah, okay. Socious. 
Socious. Uh, so we quickly are introduced to Gus, the evil sheriff in the area, who is the father of the only kid that uh, Jeff, our main character, is becoming friends with, Drew. Um, and so it's basically what you expect this movie to be for a large chunk from here on out with mm-hmm. uh, the kid getting used to the new town, dealing with the bully, uh, and also at the same time setting up characters that are going to work for a revisit to the Pet cemetery, And they do that well. Um, we quickly make Gus the Sheriff horrible. Yeah. Just an evil bastard. He shoots the stepson, uh, his dog, out the backyard because it made noise while he's trying to bang. Um, which Wolf, is just Wolfie. unbelievable. He goes out and shoots. <laughs> Wolfie's from Terminator <laughs> Wolfie's just fine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Zoe. He um, shoots the kid's dog, like and and the kid has to deal with it. I mean, that's fucked up. These kids are not that old. The kid has to go bury his own dog because it made noise while his you know. Yeah, he's listening to his stepdad bang out his mom and then go shoot his dog. Yeah, that's hard times, Daddy. Why don't you just rape him? Fuck. <laughs> Man, you Boy. you are crossing the line <laughs> on each movie. So face fucker, chicken fucker, rape, Jesus. <laughs> Wait till we start talking about bestiality in this movie. Get him right in the Monday <laughs> Monsters movie. Um, so, uh, basically, things really start to flip from there because the boy's dog is killed. Obviously, that's upsetting, and you know right where it's headed. We take the dog back up to the burial ground. Which, for not being back. written by Stephen King, they're hitting all the, the kill a dog, oh, bits. kill a kid, which is, which is funny because Stephen King had his name removed from this movie. Yeah, interesting. I think, and and we'll hit on this more before we finish. But one of the more interesting things about this movie is how fucked up it goes without it ever feeling like it. Yeah, it goes to some really dark places, but it still feels like a popcorn movie most of the time. And to know that Stephen King around this time probably needed the cocaine money. <laughs> he needed the cocaine money, and I was trying to think that there might have only—I don't even know if there was a handful of sequels at this point for Stephen King. No. Maybe just a few of his movies. Um, we also forgot to note that um, we're first introduced to the Pet cemetery because the bullies steal a kitten from Eddie Furlong. I thought that was going to get real nasty. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, come on, man, don't kill that kitten. I don't even like cats. Please don't kill that kitten. <laughs> <laughs> and they take him out to the Pet cemetery and they explain it. So then when he sees his buddy... Is this poor little chubby buddy carrying this dead dog? We all sad with him, and he's like, "I need your help. You know where I got to take him." Well, the shit is sad. It you is sad. What? It's that, sad as hell. That kid's strong as fuck to be carrying a limp ass dead dog that size. Oh okay. yeah, Hagrid is strong as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting too because I think they're also playing with your expectations with that first segment because we could have got to the same point with the local kid who's always lived there knowing about the pet cemetery with a dog yeah. shot. So the director's already screwing with you. Um, that's a good point though. So it's really because anybody watching this has seen the first and knows how messed up it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, that's the real turning point. Uh, we've now truly vilified the stepdad. We have a reason to go back to the Micmac burial ground. We bury the dog. As expected, it comes back not the friendliest, acting different, quite aggressive. Um, Festering wounds, you know. <laughs> yeah, and a, a really, I think, a nice kind of anchor segment for this movie 
which I didn't do intentionally, but I love the Halloween setting with the party mm-hmm. um, that we have out. At that does Cem- make it uh, a possibility for a seasonal watch. Right. And it's not something you initially think of, but now after watching it a couple times in recent years, it's starting to kind of feel like that. Sure. Um, so it's got that great turning point. And, you know, I'm leaving out some stuff with character development where they're they're really making some people good and some people bad. But the biggest point of the movie, the turning point is at this party because we not only have the bully screwing with him again, but then we also have that evil-ass stepdad showing up. And he gets his at this point. Before that, though, we also have Eddie Furlong having a nightmare about his dead mother with a dog head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'd like to share with listeners what just occurred? We, we just inferred a Jessica White joke. <laughs> Imagine a beautiful, beautiful woman with the head of a snake <laughs> and a tongue just going in and out like this. <laughs> which, which if you which can't hear, his tongue going in and out. Which for the listeners at home, my tongue was entering an exit. Also remember that that man jumped in my face with a whistle or whatever the hell that was. Miniature harmonica uh, to jump around uh, at an after party. I, 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 I remember that after party off. where I was kicked out of my seat. My <laughs> <So laughs> best man over here so he could gush over him. I said, if you are not going to talk to Jessica White to dance I didn't know. Who, I didn't know who that hillbilly was. <laughs> Alright, back on track. The so party. Yes, uh, stepdad up. breaks up the party <laughs> and unfortunately for stepdad, old Zoe had Shows up the dog he's killed that's back and not too happy. Uh, and you know, as you expect, it rips his fucking throat out, kills <laughs> yeah, him. yeah, um, but... which nobody's too broken up over because the guy was a dick. But the kids are freaked out, like, oh, fuck, we just killed a sheriff, right? And Where, so, are my dogs responsible? The sheriff's dead, no one's gonna believe us, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I can't pick any combination of the two of us that can get Clancy Brown up to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not able to drag this man all the way over to where the pet supercharger. Yeah, can you guys see Robert actually violently throwing ice into his glass? <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, that we suspend the little disbelief there, though. Obviously, since we got things coming back to life right. from the what? rotted ground. But yeah, so they get not me. I said, "Here's where the fiction starts." <laughs> right. So those two, uh, you know. Youthful logic, don't want to create any more trouble for themselves, so they get him back up there. And that's where the real fun begins, is with uh, Clancy Brown's character. Um, He comes back as expected, not right, um, but we have more fun with it this time. Because again, anytime we've had that in the previous film, it's depressing as shit. Because it's, you know, know, innocent people killed uh, on a highway or or take your various assorted backgrounds on why people ended up there whereas this guy you did not like so it's actually fun and that and that's where i think that this has a departure from the original and almost makes it an easier watch without question because i mean you're dealing with a kid who was like two years old getting hit by a fucking truck the first teeters on too much yeah i mean it's heavy heavy shit but on this one, you're dealing with you're not dealing with a parent losing a child. You're dealing with a child losing a parent, which tragic is the way it happens. That's the way things are supposed to go in your life, right? Well, so it's not as tragic that way. So I think that makes this a little more easy to swallow as you get into it, and it's not as heavy. And Clancy Brown's performance too is is oh, he's a trip. 
it, it's it's goofy enough that I just think this is a more more fun watch than the original. Without question, well, but it I, never jumps the shark. It's never too ridiculous to where no the jokes are making you roll your eyes. Yes. At it. Well, I think too in the in the original though. I mean, so it was grief and loss, and in this one. I don't really. They, they don't spend time. On well, that. but they but really there's no grief there because I think it really fits in because it's two two dumb boys who probably are more worried about getting in trouble because his throat's ripped out. So they go put him in the pet cemetery, and because he was an asshole, it's almost fun because when he comes back, he's actually kind of nice to him now. But the intelligence of the film is that it does rely a little bit on the grief of the loss of the mother. Well, yeah, there's the, that. The, the, sure. The, Which is how, that's what, how the pet cemetery is using it. Right, how we... how we, um, And then it rolls right into necrophilia as he... Yeah, like, yeah so we should pull her back. <laughs> Clancy Brown comes back fucked up, wraps his neck wound, and then bangs out the kid's mom. <laughs> does, la- does loud sex <laughs> to the kid's mom. <laughs> yeah, it's uncomfortable. Uh, my favorite part of him... Uh, after the incident coming back is him feasting out in the backyard on all the rabbits. <laughs> just sitting there while the kids stare at him, just ripping them apart. Ugh. My note here says, Titty Wolf Mom. <laughs> if uh, necrophilia doesn't turn you on, then you might like Mom coming and grinding Dad with a wolf head. <laughs> uh, so, and, which then cuts to Dad waking up to grinding the dog. So, um, there's really only a couple other things to hit before we get to uh, the bonkers ending. So, it's important to point out, though, the the situation with the mom and longing for him. You're setting up a reason uh, for somebody to go into a dark place mentally that could cause them to maybe make a poor choice with the local options. And this is where we get serious. Right, right. So that's the point I was trying to make is that, yeah, we don't have the grief of the stepdad, but we do have the, all, all roads leading to mom coming back. Yeah. Um, so there's really two events that are pretty big before we get to the, the finale, and that is uh, Gus going after his, the, his the girl, girl and, and, and no, well, oh. both. Yeah, it really turns into like Gus the Doy uh, Doy Terminator as he goes around. <laughs> um, sorry, that's offensive. Uh, he he runs his girl and her son. No, off before the that, road. to bully them. Well, yeah, I was going to hit that too. I was oh, just saying okay. the two items before that's the finale. It. Um, that's messed up. That's what I'm saying. We're, we still got some dark stuff going on here. In this movie, they don't shy away from that, but they yeah. still maintain the playfulness of it. Because Gus does kill, yeah, both of them, his wife and her son, who's the friend of Eddie Furlong. Yeah, and viewer just moves on because every time I watch it, I'm like, when they show it on the news, like where it kind of finalizes that that's actually what happened. It's like, Jesus, what's next? <laughs> I mean, it's just the way the the, the movie yeah. energy and tone goes. But yeah, the other great scene, and it's always the first thing I think of when I think of this movie. Is the bully finally gets his, albeit a little much for a bully, okay. um, but yeah, a little, little, little shitty kid. A- uh, so we find him uh, screwing with Jeff again, bullying him. Um, and you know, by the way, this is not just your average bully. I mean, like, he is looking to get salt in the wounds for, of this kid and his personal life and what happened to his mom. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a little shithead, and so he's got Jeff down on the ground with his nose spinning the spokes on the bike. Talk, and he's basically getting ready to put 
put the kid's nose in it, tear his face up, and Gus shows up. And uh, things don't work out too well for Clyde the Bully. Um, and it's it's absolutely delicious watching Gus screw with him. He's laughing. He's because he basically sends Jeff out of there, you know, go on your way. And he starts screwing with the bully. He's got him down on the ground and he picks up the kid's dirt bike and has it down to his face, just revving it, just <laughs> laughing with the tire spinning. And then Clyde's scarf gets caught in the wheel and it eats up half his face, which we do show a little bit, uh, especially as we revisit his body laying there. But, um, love it. Yeah, Gus is just out there tearing shit up. Uh, so, unfortunately, Jeff, our main character, makes the choice to bring Mom back. And so what we have is uh, ending with the uh, bully being back from the dead, as you guessed. With which which can the... Because aren't you supposed to bury your own? So how do the dead bury another dead? Um, who, how, who was it that got him up there? What they... Was it Gus? Yeah, he would have. The Gus would have took him because Gus him. helped Jeff with his mom. I can't remember how the bully ends up there, but the point is, uh, we do end up. I with read him. in Fango <laughs> that technically <laughs> the bully was Gus's kid. You just and broke that me. Got cut out of the film. I was saving the Fango stuff for the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, we've got uh, a reanimated mother back at Jeff's home. Um, we have Gus who has helped make that happen there. We have the bully show up, um, or no, Gus isn't there because we have the father chase played by Anthony Edwards who shoots the dog and Gus killing them both. Anthony Edwards of ER fame. Looking like Chris Elliott. Or <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah, He's a real nice guy. Um, and so he makes it back to their house where we've got the situation with the mother and the bully shows up and a really a pretty chilling scene is when the bully begins to fight Jeff up there and we get this place up in flames, which is very throwback to a lot of old monster movies. Yes. Um, is when the mother starts laughing at the bully who's back from the dead, trying to kill her own son. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a pretty creepy, pretty creepy moment. Um, but yeah, it, it ends about as you'd expect. Uh, we mom end up melts. with yeah, mom melts, bully dead, and we get dad out of there. And they escape the flames that were engulfing them and get the end of the movie. But it's a it's a pretty crazy ending. But it never feels never the movie never goes so out of control with the subject matter like you might expect it to. So Pet Cemetery too. Sometimes dead is better. We belong dead. Uh, so, anyways, a fingo. <laughs> Actually, I'm just kidding. But, uh, so Mary Lambert didn't really write this version of it, but she wanted, um... Mother of Miranda Lambert. Uh, no. But she who, wanted, uh... Who wrote Lambert the Sheepish Lion? She wanted... Buck my ass. She wanted part two to be based off of Ellie Creed, and Paramount was like, we can't do a movie with a teenager girl. So that's Especially they, that same daughter one. of Apollo Creed. They went with uh, Edward Furlong. But what I did know, and I... Who kind of looked like the girl from the first one. When I watched... Uh, which was the sister of Scott Stapp of Creed. <laughs> We're completely lost. But uh, when I watched the, the Screen Factory uh, of this, I watched some of the interviews, and I think it was Clancy Brown was talking about, he asked Mary Lambert, why would you come back to do part two of anything? And no one would let her direct movies. So she just, yeah. her answer was, 
no one lets me do shit. And I almost feel like this is her Gremlins too, where it's like, all right, well, let's just make it a crazy ass bonkers movie. And the crazy thing is, um, when I was watching this one, because it's Paramount and uh, it came out right around the same time with Hellraiser three and Children of the Corn two, all Paramount. But the crazy thing is, is Weinstein brothers were attached to Hellraiser and they were attached to Children of the Corn because this one was actually decent. So if I was going to make another movie out of all those movies after the last entry, it would have been Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery was made for eight mil and it made like 20 million. So it made money. But I think uh, I can imagine if Weinstein got a hold of Pet Cemetery, it would be on part 20 right now. Well, that's true. Well, and you know it had to make money in the in the video circuit. That cover art with the two kids, like when I kid between the ages of ten and sixteen, it doesn't want to pick that up. Like yeah. I said, the local channels were well, buying the man, rights that, to air that shit. Th- this yeah. was this was Edward Furlong's follow up to Terminator. Yes, and then ninety two wasn't the greatest year for horror movies to begin with. Um, like, I, man, those three movies might have been like the only movies that came out in the last like. Everything else was either made for TV at that point or... And it wasn't a slasher. Which, I mean, for that time period, people were... Ever since Halloween, everybody was beating the fuck out of that slasher formula. And for 1992... Now, granted, Stephen King properties had the shit beat out of them by that time. Also, kind of reaching its max point. Like, Stephen King was everywhere. Which, which yeah. is First crazy. In 92, though, that hit, he re- made a point to remove his name from this movie. But, like, the Langoliers and stuff is what he Yeah, I was going to say, but Tommy Knockers worked for Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> at that point, Stephen King was... Stephen King films were basically made for TV. For shizzle. Anyways. Good times. Hey, there it is. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I would highly recommend this film. Um, in that I am someone who, uh, we've talked about this before, I'm not a huge fan of the original. I wouldn't even call myself a fan of the original. I don't I don't dislike it. Um, but I had a lot of fun with this movie. Awesome. But of course, I mean, it's a bonkers sequel. You yeah. like bestiality. I mean, of course you well, that too. I mean, so like, when am I not going to like when a bonkers you, sequel? When are you not going to like a movie with boobies and a wolf head? That's <laughs> <laughs> why we get out in the morning. It's why we do what we do. And guilty is charged. <laughs> No, so, th- this is one of those. It's perfect for this topic too. Yeah, it's a weird sequel, but like I say, I don't feel like it's as heavy as the first one. No, which I I think makes it. I think which it, makes it enjoyable, more enjoyable than the other one because the subject matter is just not quite as heavy, and as we mentioned, fits in seasonally. So yeah. if you haven't seen it before. Halloween season's coming up on you, or may have just passed. I don't know when this is airing. <laughs> you get some of that same um, same uh, strengths of the original for ambiance and, and the ideas without it being a relentless assault on your emotional yeah. well-being like the first one is. Yes. The first one, man, like, even the housekeeper hangs herself. Like, it is a brutal Who's movie. sick, the whole movie. Right, it's just misery everywhere. So anyways, yes, glad Check everyone it enjoyed it. I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, I, I will say... The they are making a prequel, but I don't know if it's a prequel of like the remake. So technically, this may or may not be a dead end sequel. But also, I realized watching this again that Edward Furlong and then the remake has uh, Jason Clark, who are both John Connor. So that was just my so two John Connors. I'll be dipping shit double John. Um, Connor. Also, love this one hundred percent better than the remake. So 
Yes. Two uh two wolf titties up. <laughs> <laughs> Closing it out for the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner. And I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Stay scary.